culture change is such a journey and you're never, never fully there, which makes it fun and challenging, of course. If you're renovating your culture and refreshing your culture, it's important not only to think about what you really need for the future, but also honor the past and what has really, really helped the company succeed in the past. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever, and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. For this episode, we welcome back our guest host, Michelle Labby, TopTal's Chief People Officer. Michelle talks with Anna White, Executive Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at F5 Networks. Anna leads people practices for a premier networking portfolio that empowers customers to create and operate adaptive applications. So I'd love to first talk about your background and career trajectory that got you to F5, since I know you're the Chief People Officer there, but you also had a math degree when you came out of school, which seems a little bit of a different path. Yeah, I definitely have a different background for HR. Sometimes people are surprised that I'm a math major and and leading HR. But just to give you a bit of context, after university, I actually thought I wanted to be an actuary. So I started with an actuarial consulting firm doing compensation and benefits consulting. I quickly realized while I absolutely loved numbers, I loved working with people so much more. And I decided I really wanted to be a manager and work in a really global environment. Those were my two passion areas. And Microsoft had offered me a role leading their retirement team and their retirement plans and said, you know, after one year of experience that they could give me some global and international exposure, which I was really excited about. So I joined Microsoft, you know, thinking I would stay a few years and they fulfilled their promise. They gave me one year later job running all of benefits around the world. And I got to travel to over 40 countries. It was a very cool job. And then I actually ended up staying almost 19 years at Microsoft. And I had 10 different jobs throughout that period of time across almost every different part of HR. So I'm a real learner. I love to learn new things and try out new things. And so I got to even live in London at one point, heading up Skype HR with my family, which was a great experience. And then I also had the opportunity to work with many of the CEO's direct reports, which taught me a lot across many different businesses as well. And I thought I would stay there for my career. I really loved it. But when the F5 opportunity came up, I was interested because it not only was leading HR, but also social impact which we call global good at F5. And I'm very passionate about both of those areas. And the more I got to know the CEO, Francois Lecaudenou, I realized this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to work with a stellar CEO that puts people first and diversity and inclusion top of mind, is very, very visionary and was transforming the company on almost every vector 
business, technology, people, culture. And so I decided to take the leap and go to F5, heading up HR and social impact. And it's been a really wonderful experience. We talk a lot about culture and corporate culture and what it looks like. And now that we're back in this in-person, in the office, work from home, some type of mixture, both are going back. How does F5 define their culture? And is, have they had to change or pivot at all based on recent events? When I started, we really redefined our culture in a few ways. Francois wanted to honor the past, but also really look at what behaviors are truly, truly needed for the future, since we were transforming on so many different vectors. My team did focus groups with employees across geos, professions, levels, to bring them along on this journey of cultural transformation over three years ago, so that it could be a bit of a co-creation around the behaviors that we wanted to live. And we landed on five behaviors, starting with we are owners. At the time, it was we choose speed, we obsess over customers' needs, we create a more diverse and inclusive F5, and we help each other thrive. And what we did is we really tried to embed all of those behaviors into many different things so that it wasn't just words on a slide or words on a wall. We did have a marketing campaign around it, but we really brought it to life through rewards and recognition, through reviews and things like that. And it really became something that people lived and cared about and called out for each other and really came to life in a great way. And then we've been refreshing the culture as we go, because culture is obviously a very dynamic thing and it is a journey that really never ends. And so one example of a refresh we had just recently done on our culture was we evolved the we choose speed behavior to we make F5 more agile. We really wanted it to be about agility. And Francois and I firmly feel tech companies really need to be agile, not only from what you would typically think of an engineering perspective, going from waterfall to agile engineering, that's one facet of agility, but also you need to be agile to the market and, and quick to respond and leapfrogging where you can and really test and learn and continue to raise the bar with continuous improvement each day. So we just recently made that change in our behavior and we actually made it. It was our 25th anniversary a few weeks ago and we had something we call BF5 week where we celebrated our culture that entire week. And that was when we launched the new behavior of we make uh, F5 more agile. And that really resonated well for our employees. They appreciated the shift to agility. Um, and then we also brought the culture to life in really fun ways from live concerts across different geographies around the world to Ask Me Anything AMA with all of the Francois and his directs and I responding to any question to baking contests for bringing the culture to life. So we've been doing many, many things over the last three years, but in the past few weeks celebrating our 25th anniversary and BF5 week, it was really fun to see F5ers bring to life our culture. And one other fun thing I saw was we're a lot about recognition of each other. And we did something called shout out week where employees did shout outs via our online tool, recognizing employees where they brought the behaviors to life in a very concrete way. And we had thousands and thousands of shout outs 
employees calling out great behaviors that they had seen around our culture. We do similar things. We put our culture page on our website so people that are applying can see. And our our annual review cycle, you know, you get rated on your cultural values. And so, yeah, it's, it's really part of the DNA of every company. So it's really important. I totally agree with that. And I think to your point around how you're evaluated is the what is important, but the how I think is equally important. So it's good that you also put that into your reviews so that managers and employees can get on the same page around the impact and how the impact was made and what behaviors were shown when they were making that impact. So now that COVID is upon us, how have you all had to shift or pivot with the needs of the people and the the changing climate that we're in? In the beginning, COVID was, is much more of a crisis that we really didn't know what we didn't know. And it was very much learning. And what we decided to do, we put together a task force with HR, marketing, different groups, and we decided to take very much a human first approach, thinking about and centering it all around our employees, our customers, our partners, and the community at large. And so we centered any rollout we did, any design we did around this human first approach. And it served us quite well, because as you know, in a crisis, people want some level of clarity and certainty and a lot of anxiety can be created. So we really centered it around the human first approach. First of all, we decided to launch a pretty holistic communication strategy because in times of uncertainty, people really want information and they're also getting some conflicting information. So we decided to have not only emails very frequently, but also videos and a wide variety of channels on Teams and on Slack and different modalities to really keep our employees informed of decisions and actions. And we also did a lot of two way dialogue. So it wasn't just let us tell you everything, but we want to hear from you. So we did multiple surveys to them on how they were doing, what else we could do to help. And we felt like that two way dialogue was helpful. And then as many companies did, we did a lot around providing more leaves, time offs. In the U.S., we provided um, subsidized backup child care and elder care through Bright Horizons, which could help parents or those taking care of others really have that option. We also did something around Headspace. So Headspace, I'm sure you know, is a, a meditation app. So we offered a fully subsidized membership to all of our employees around the globe for those that wanted to utilize Headspace. And that was pretty well received I think employees really appreciate it. And and what I, you know, what we know is employees are different. Some will love that. Others will want something else. So we tried to kind of provide a variety of things so people can pick and choose what's best for them. I'm really glad that, that you had done that as well. We had already had kind of flex time rolled out about three years ago, but what we decided to do was of like 99% of our employees, everyone's really working from home. We have a few offices open in Asia at about 10% capacity. But what we said is post-COVID, employees can continue to work from home. And based on the surveying we had done, we had heard that most employees wanted a hybrid scenario where they could choose when they go in the office, choose when they work from home. And we're really accommodating that and providing a very much a flexible hybrid approach post-COVID as well, which we think will help continue that, that level of engagement. And then one of the things I was most excited that we did was something we call focus. So we decided to invest in our leaders and our managers around how do we really ready them to lead during a crisis 
which they've never really seen something exactly like this before. And we worked with NLI and used kind of neuroscience research to create a training and resources kind of on demand that they could do as they could and as time permitted to learn about how to lead during crisis in three very simple modules. And they were really around how do you take care of yourself? How do you take care of each other? And then how do you deliver what really matters? So in crisis, how do you best prioritize? How do you recognize others? And we found that that training went so well, we decided to then model it for all employees too. So they could learn at scale as well as our leaders and our managers did. And so we found that engaging managers helped our broader employee population really get some more certainty and clarity. And it helped our managers also lead with increased compassion empathy and understanding. Because as you know, everyone has their own kind of personal situation. Some people may be feeling a loneliness factor if they live alone. Others could have the exact opposite. They could live in a smaller environment with a multi-generational household. And so we wanted our managers just to learn and have understanding and figure out where they could most help their employees through this crisis. And maybe the last example I would provide would be one I really liked called F5 Cares. We rolled out F5 Cares for parents. We rolled it out not only for our employee base of parents, but also our customers and our partners. And we did it as kind of a six week, very simple series where we brought in external experts that really knew how to help parents during times like this, where the parents of our customers, partners, and employees could ask, the expert would do a kind of a teaching series, and then they could ask questions and have a a two-way dialogue. So that was pretty well received as well. TopTel is 100% fully remote company. We have been since day one. And so I think the difference is some people will say, oh, you all didn't have to pivot at all because you were already working from home. You forget, it's like, yes, but now daycares are closed, your children are in the next room, you might be having to take care of ill parents. And so it's more of a flexibility and empathy and support and understanding of employees to say, you might not need to work nine to five, you might have to take a shift in the morning or a shift at night with your spouse or, you know, work around just to get your role done. And and it's really just about flexibility and support since everyone was going through this, as we all know. I think trust is one of the most important things right now. And it sounds like both of our companies have seen kind of trust get even to a higher level based on this, which I think is a silver lining amongst a very, very difficult year. I think the increased trust factor is a positive. And when we have been in surveying our employees and we've been really happy with the response to how we've treated them throughout this pandemic. So I think that's important for all companies and I'm sure other companies are seeing the exact same thing. Ten years ago, or even five years ago, people weren't really focused on mental health. And we've been doing this, me a little bit longer than you, but it almost was a taboo subject for a long time. You know, you know, there's compliance rules and policies about asking folks or people even speaking up and asking for help. It just was kind of one of those things that no one really talked about. And COVID expedited it to a whole new level. How have you seen this evolve over the years or, you know, even in your profession now or F5 or before that? For so many years, it was taboo and that, that was so unfortunate. And so we're really trying to change that. In, we have been for the last few years, but especially now, especially with COVID where mental health is becoming a bigger and bigger concern. And 
we know, you know, that hundreds of millions of people around the world have been dealing with anxiety and depression, and those numbers just increase as the crisis continues. So we really have three primary goals around mental health. One is to normalize the conversation, to your earlier point. And the second one is really to increase understanding and come with a degree of curiosity. And then, of course, the given is provide support and provide support in a wide variety of areas. And we really believe that mental health is something that should be talked about, you know, year-round openly and be supported. And and across geographies, there's also different perspectives on this as well. So we're looking as a global sort of remit for us. A few things we've done in this space more recently is we've kicked off an employee inclusion group aligned with mental health. We call it the ABILITY EIG that is focused both on visible and invisible differences, both short-term and chronic. We've done various employee roundtable discussions with a mental health coach to address topics such as anxiety, how do you manage anxiety, depression, how do you increase resilience, And our goal was not only to increase the awareness of symptoms, but to empower employees to take care of themselves, truly. The other thing we've done is in EMEA, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, we did a pilot to really pilot mental health first aid training for our HR team and for our managers just to increase their awareness and increase their tool set that they have so that managers are better equipped to support their teams and recommends, you know, maybe you want to talk to a professional or, you know, have some time off or whatever the appropriate thing is. And, and that's been helpful. And as we do these smaller pilots, we test and learn and see where might we want to scale that in a broader way on a global basis as well. And then the other thing I think, you know, around well-being overall is just education. And there's sometimes very, very basic things that you can remind employees about. I think when employees get really stressed, and that's true for all of us, you know, we just focus on getting the job done and and not stepping back and thinking of how can I best help myself. So one of the most basic things, I think, is encouraging employees to take time off. We had heard because, you know, you can't travel as much right now. So some employees were saying, I want to wait and take vacation when I can travel. But we really encourage them to take the time off to relax, refresh, spend time with their family, you know, take a class if they want to, whatever is best for them to to disconnect a little bit. And we try to provide um, a lot of communications around resources for wellness. But one of the most important things I think is, is readying your managers, as we talked about before, and really ensuring that they're leading with a degree of empathy and curiosity and compassion because managers will make a real difference, as you know, to your employee base in a pretty significant way. Right. If you don't see your manager take time off, you're not going to take that time off. Yeah. The role modeling is very important. And, and even for us too, like I hadn't taken time off in a really long time. We did an acquisition in December, so I didn't have much of a holiday and I decided to take midwinter break off. And I do think it's important for everyone to model um, what we ask others to do, because if we're not, they they won't believe what we're saying. And the same is true for culture as well. We all need to be, leaders need to be modeling that. So I read a really great article that you wrote on LinkedIn around empowering employees to make a personal connection and social impact. So would love to hear more about that. 
It's something I'm very passionate about. So thanks for asking. I just feel it's great when a company can give a platform for employees to realize their passions for helping the community. That was really important to me. The F5 gave a multitude of ways that employees could engage, whether the most basic of donating money or volunteering time, having volunteer time off to go do that. And when you volunteer your time, getting money per hour that could go to whatever nonprofit you want it to go to. And then also further ideas like really having volunteer events that teams can do together and contests and competitions. We've seen some great ones throughout the world that have raised a significant amount of money for a variety of communities. I just feel like, especially during a pandemic, everyone's going through a hard time, but there's always communities in need that really, really need it. And I think that has the positive flywheel of helping someone else helps you feel better as well. And so we've done a few things at F5 that I'm really excited about. One of which is is pretty basic. It's called the Community Impact Grant. And what that is, is these are quarterly grants that employees can apply for if they are volunteering a lot of their time at a specific nonprofit that they're very passionate about. They can apply just for a $5,000 grant to go to their nonprofits. And we have a set of employees that reviews all the applications and selects the winners each quarter. And frankly, it's one of my highlights of my quarter, reading who the winners are and what impact they and their nonprofit are making on the community. And every all hands with the CEO and the CFO, one of the things I always present is these quarterly impact grant winners and what nonprofits the money is going to. And so in the first year, we funded over $100,000 to 25 nonprofits to seven countries. And that's just one sliver of what we do. But I like that one a lot just because it connects what employees are passionate about and amplifies that for our broader employee base to see, which is kind of cool. The other one uh, I can give you as, as one example would be our Tech for Good grants. So we just launched last year some Tech for Good grants. I think many people know that nonprofits are not able to allocate much of their money to uh, technology and to digital transformation typically about 1 to 2.5% of their annual income to technology. And therefore, they are not far along on the digital transformation that most corporations have done already. So we wanted money to go to nonprofits to help with their digital transformation. And we decided for this first year to pivot on COVID-19 response grants around digital transformation and really provide assistance to those that were most helping with COVID-19. And so that was really nice to provide to multiple nonprofits around the world. And then in this next year, we're just opening it up again for Tech for Good, where any nonprofit can sign up and apply for this. And for this year, we're focusing on organizations who are serving at least 50% BIPOC and underserved communities for this coming year. And they can use these grants in any way that they choose for hardware, software, any technology way that they choose. So they have that degree of, of flexibility in how to use their money. You're also on a task force locally there in Seattle as well. Yeah, the task force, I'm, I'm on kind of two. One, the first task force is the Seattle University Center for Science and Innovation. And that very small task force had a few CEOs and Seattle University leaders that really looked at how do we create a new center for science innovation that would bring a completely new way of working 
to Seattle University for STEM students that was more innovative and outside the box. So that's just coming to fruition this year, which is exciting. And then I'm also on the board for Child Haven and Child Haven really helps children in sometimes abusive and neglect situations. And that's my number one passion is really helping children in tough scenarios. And we've evolved our mission to go beyond the children to look more at the, how do we support the family holistically, whatever that family may look like, and, and really provide the support that can last for the long term. So many people of us have gone through this cultural renovation and change over this past year and pivots. And what could you share the biggest outcomes and learnings? A few of kind of the learnings I've had, and I think everyone knows this, but it's important to keep it top of mind is it's so key for the leaders to role model the culture every day. We, you know, hold ourselves to a very high bar around living and breathing the culture and making it so much more than words. It's truly the actions that matter. The other thing I'd say, I talked a little bit about that in the beginning, but if you're, you know, renovating your culture and refreshing your culture, it's important not only to think about what you really need for the future and the strategy that the company is embarking on in the long term, but also honor the past and what has really, really helped the company succeed in the past. And our example on that, the behavior we had that really honored the past from F5 was we help each other thrive. F5 is truly like a family. And since 25 years ago, when it started, it was like a family and it's not internally competitive. It's very much, we help each other out. We give each other positive feedback and support. And that was the behavior we wanted to continue and to last from the beginning to now. And some of the other behaviors are are really what we more want to see for the long term. And then one we had talked about before, you know, it's so important to infuse culture into everything. It's not this separate thing. It's, it's part of who you are, and it should be kind of seen throughout the trainings, throughout the reviews, throughout the hiring, every facet of the employee life cycle culture should be embedded. And so I think when that, that's gone pretty well for us, but we're always learning. Like I said, it's a journey and, and we want to be agile on this too. And that's one of the reasons we had changed one of our behaviors from we choose speed to we make F5 more agile is we want to continue to iterate and learn along with our employees and continue to take their feedback and measure the progress that we're making. Another key thing is you're evolving your culture is to measure your success along the way and and take that with a self-critical eye. You know, yes, what's going well, but what really isn't going well and why isn't that going well? And using a data-centric approach to understand that and really take it to the next level and raise the bar each day to continuously improve on the culture. One other thing I'd say that's important is cultivating inclusion. And of course, that's an aspect of our culture, but we try and really learn from all of our employees. How are they feeling about the culture? What is their level of inclusion and belonging? And that was the most important metric for us personally, from a people perspective over the past two years was what is our employees level of belonging at the company? And we gave ourselves a numeric goal over the past two years that we've now hit and exceeded. And I think the work around COVID and the response to the pandemic really had allowed us to get more of a jump there on the level of belonging and inclusion that our employees have. So that's been really central to our focus. 
So you have what about over 5,000 employees or now we have over 6,000 because we've done three acquisitions over the last past few years. So it's been a, a lot of hiring and acquisitions as well. I just was thinking about how you said it's really like a family. That's a huge family, right? It's become very big. (laughs) I was like, how how are you keeping everybody together to feel like it's a family with that many people? And with acquisitions, that also is, is interesting because they come with their own culture and we have our culture. So we've had a certain approach as we've done acquisitions as well to share a lot around our culture, but also recognize their culture and talk about where we have synergies between our two cultures and how we can get the best of both coming together over the past three acquisitions we've had. And so that's been really helpful as well. And I assume you use Slack or meetings and, you know, as a lot of interaction. Especially this past year, it's been a lot of interaction. And, and in our surveys, sometimes I hear, a lot of times I hear, love the interaction. And then, of course, you have people say, maybe it's too much. You know what I mean? You can't please everyone. But we've had so many, we've increased our level of all hands, our level of ask me anything, AMAs that we do. We use Teams and we have many, many Teams channels that we've set up. We use our employee inclusion groups, our EIGs. We have seven different employee inclusion groups and they are very, very active on the variety of channels that we have. We do videos and we do many different modalities. One recent pilot we've done is a peer mentoring pilot. Because of COVID, we wanted employees, we already had a mentoring program, but this is more of a lightweight, just connection across countries if people choose on how are you doing? You know, how's COVID going for you? What's your personal situation? And we're just testing and learning on that new pilot. It's not as formal as our formal mentoring program, but it's more of a connection tool to allow people to connect uh, during this time. So we're doing a lot of testing and learning as well, as well as many surveys that we've done. I, I wonder if our employees might feel a little bit of survey fatigue, but the thing is, With the surveys, we take action. That's what I always explain. If you don't say something, I don't know what you're thinking. So, and we use something in Slack called the donut channel. Oh, cool. Tell me about that. It's like having coffee and donuts with somebody. So it randomly matches two people and it matches people who are not like in regular conversation. So it's people that I don't speak with, right? On a normal, it's like not my team who I'm always in contact with. Every three weeks, I get randomly matched with a new person at TopTel. And I just have a donut, coffee and donut conversation with them. It's one of the things that helps us to keep that engagement and connection up. And people can join the channel. They don't, they can opt out if they're too busy and come in and out as they want. But if they feel that they need that extra connection or extra conversation because they live alone, at least it's, it's there for folks too. I think that's a really great feature. And I'm, I'm really glad you're doing that. And when you said that, it reminded me of a little thing we're doing around the connection is Our CEO and and some of his directs do coffee and connects or chais and connects with a very small group of employees. So, you know, six to 10 employees meet with the CEO or CEO direct reports. And we learn a lot from these meetings because it's a much more intimate environment and very, very open and very informal. I've heard about this zoom out concept that you have that, that you've installed at F5. Can you tell me a little bit about that? 
We, once a quarter, have a set day for F5ers around the world. We call it Zoom Out Day. And we ask employees to, you know, really try not to have internal meetings and try not to do as much of the day-to-day, but really Zoom out and spend the day learning and growing across a wide variety of areas. And we typically, uh, each quarter, have a theme that employees could gravitate toward. One theme we had uh, a while ago was on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we had a wide variety of trainings and readings and TED Talks and different things people could call into and learn around diversity, equity, and inclusion and allyship as well. We've also most recently had one all centered around data, focusing on data and insights. And we did a wide variety of trainings around Power BI and Tableau, and not only taking the data, but how can you really glean that data and glean important insights that can help you progress in your role? And then finally, how do you take those insights and convert them to storytelling? And so we love having that once a quarter kind of step back from your day-to-day job and truly have an opportunity to learn and grow within your role. Do you create your own trainings or is there a vendor that you use? It really depends on the focus of the Zoom Out Day. The really positive thing I've found, we've been doing this for a few years now, is we have very passionate employees. And sometimes our employees will come to us volunteering on a topic, like working with data scientists around our data day. So they had worked with Tableau, Power BI, and they had helped do these trainings. On the diversity, equity, and inclusion example, and as well as allyship, of course, we have vendors that we had worked with that we'd already had curated trainings, online trainings. We also have LinkedIn Learning where we did some curation. And then we brought in some outside speakers as well. So it kind of depends on the topic for that day of the quarter, which vendors we would bring in. But of course, now it's, it's really all online. So that just gives us different modalities to work through. This has been really interesting. I've learned a lot from you today. So I appreciate the time that you've taken. And I've learned from you as well. I really appreciate your time too. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Meredith Bodkiss. You can find much more information about The Talent Economy on staffing.com and toptal.com slash insights, hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.